Welcome to the Thinking Faith Podcast, a collection of talks and Q&A that address the big questions we're all asking about God, life and purpose. Well, good morning, SIBKK. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you for that kind introduction. My name is Max. I'm from Thinking Faith, coming to you from Singapore and really blessed to be able to bring you this message on one of the most important questions I think that both Christians and non-Christians struggle with. Do I have to choose between God and science? Or put another way, hasn't science disproved God? The first man ever in space was a man named Yuri Gagarin, a Russian cosmonaut. And when he came back to Earth, he gave obviously a press conference. He was an international celebrity. But being an atheist himself and coming from an atheistic regime, Yuri Gagarin famously said, a little offensively for some, when he got back, he said, For those of you who are stupid enough to believe in God, let me assure you, I went up into space and I didn't see him, and so now we know that he doesn't exist. I'm paraphrasing him, of course, but that's basically what he said. He couldn't see God in space, and so therefore God didn't exist. And it's this kind of scientistic thinking that drives this idea that people have to choose between faith in God or faith in science, that somehow God and science are opposed to each other. I want to share with you today a message that dismantles this myth, that dismantles this idea, to show that we can actually have a well-founded, evidence-based faith in God, while still be perfectly committed to the natural sciences and understanding and observing and cataloguing the real natural world in which we live. There's an old movie, and I, I won't tell you the name because it's not that good a movie, but there's one scene in it where these two criminals, these two thieves, have stolen an ATM, a cash machine, and they're wheeling this cash machine down the street in a wheelbarrow. In broad daylight, it's a busy shopping strip, and there's people everywhere, but they're wheeling it down the street, and they see a police car turn in at the top of the street. And so they don't have time to run away, and so they throw the wheelbarrow to one side, they lift up the cash machine and put it up against the wall of one of the shops. And one of the criminals stands at the ATM as if he's using it, and the second criminal stands behind him, pretending to be waiting in line. And by the time the police car drives past and takes a look, the constable takes a look at this ATM, they see a line of five or six people waiting to use the cash machine. This cash machine that's been stolen, that's not even plugged in. People just saw a queue form in front of the ATM and stood in line. Now, when it comes to ATMs, it's not that big a deal because the worst that can happen is you get to the front of the line and realize that it's not plugged in and it's not working. But the reality is that on the big questions of life, God, meaning, purpose, faith, life, and death, these sorts of questions We need to spend more time thinking through which line or which queue we are willing to stand in. It's much more dangerous if we just swallow what people tell us or assume that something is true. And one of those myths that a lot of us, a lot of people out there assume to be true is that science has disproved God or somehow there's some kind of disconnect between what the Bible tells Christians and the Bible tells all people and what the natural sciences tell us. So I want to share with you just three of the reasons, and there are many, many more out there, but three of the reasons to help set us straight, to help deconstruct this myth. The first is the myth of warfare, the myth of this idea of God versus science. Secondly, the nature of science, 
Let's actually look at what the natural sciences are and what they're used for. And thirdly, the heart of God. How does God play into this and how can we make sense of him and meet him in the middle of this world that seems to be engulfed increasingly by the pursuit of the natural, physical, empirical sciences. So the myth of warfare, the nature of science and the heart of God. Firstly, the myth of warfare, and this really encapsulates the idea that we have to choose between science and God, which I want to put to you is a completely false idea. Part of the reason for this is that science as we know it, whether it's physics or chemistry or mathematics or biology, it grew, modern science as we know it today, it actually grew out of the Christian church. A lot of people don't know this and it's easy to have this washed over in history. But when you look at how the sciences grew, they came out of this Judeo-Christian idea, out of the biblical idea that our universe, our physical universe, had a creator, had an intelligence behind its creation. And because of that, was able to be studied and observed in examinable, repeatable, understandable, catalogable ways. And that's exactly what modern scientific method relies on, that the universe is rational, that we can actually do experiments and test it and observe it and understand it. That if gravity operates today, then it's going to operate like that again tomorrow. That when we test things, the constancy of the universe, whether it's the principles of physics or thermodynamics or mathematics or chemical compounds, whatever it might be, that they operate again and again and again in a similar way. This idea grew out of the Christian church and many Christians in the church that wanted to understand God's creation better. So much so that as part of the Copernican scientific revolution, this huge leap in modern science, a University of Washington study showed that of the 52 leading scientists that were part of that revolution, 48 of them were followers of Jesus, committed followers of Jesus, beginning with and including, incredibly, Copernicus himself. Not to mention others that are often placed in this mythical history that somehow God or the church opposes science, which is that people like Galileo, were believers in God. Even Charles Darwin, while perhaps not necessarily a committed Christian, when he died was definitely not an atheist. He definitely believed in some greater transcendent being and some greater transcendent intelligence. All the way through to today where multitudes of the world's best scientists are Christians, followers of Jesus, Nobel Prize laureates like Francis Collins. Professors at Oxford University like John Lennox and Alistair McGrath, who has, they, they, these guys have PhDs in mathematics and molecular biophysics. These are not stupid people. They're some of the best scientists on the planet and they are committed followers of Jesus Christ. So this myth of warfare, this myth that somehow God has been opposed to science or there is some inconsistency between following Jesus or having a faith in God and having a commitment to the natural empirical sciences. It's just not true. There's just no evidence for it through human history. So the myth of warfare. But how can that be? How can that actually play out? Well, let's take a look at the nature of science. My second point. What's science actually for? What does it do? And how can it be used and misused? Well, the problem with the myth of God versus science starts with a thing called scientism. Not science, but scientism. And scientism is the understanding or the belief that the only way of knowing truth and reality is through the physical sciences. The only way that we can know any truth 
is if we can empirically test for it through the physical sciences. Now, there is one big problem, of course, with scientism, is because that sentence, the only way of knowing truth, is through the physical sciences. That sentence cannot be tested for. That sentence cannot be proven using the physical science. So we have to take that sentence as an article of faith. So to put it simply, this idea of scientism, that the only way of knowing truth, the only way of knowing reality is through the physical sciences, it fails its own test. It falls over logically. And so by definition then, we know there must be more to truth and reality than what the physical sciences can show. Now, any good scientist will tell you this because they understand that the nature of science is to observe and understand and catalogue the natural physical world. That's why they're called the natural physical sciences, whether it's chemistry, physics, biology. These are the physical sciences that are concerned not primarily but exclusively with the physical world. Now, God, the God of the Bible anyway, if he exists, and I believe that he does, he exists not just in some sense in the physical world, but primarily in the metaphysical, in the supernatural. And so natural sciences are not designed or equipped to detect things or understand things that are in the supernatural. They're natural sciences, but he's a supernatural God. So necessarily, it doesn't matter what kind of science you use, you're not going to be able to prove or disprove God deductively. Yes, there are pointers to God in the sciences, pointers to God in his creation. But any scientist that tells you, I can prove that God exists using the sciences, or any scientist that tells you, I can prove that God does not exist using the natural sciences, they're lying to you. They're not particularly good scientists. Any good scientist will tell you that science is about the physical, natural world. Whereas faith in this God, and this God exists primarily in the supernatural realm or in the metaphysical. So we have to remember that the nature of science is such that it's not designed to be able to prove or disprove God's existence. It's designed to be able to understand the natural physical world. Some of you might have seen on a beach people walking around sometimes with metal detectors. They're trying to find gold under the sand. Now, it doesn't matter how good that metal detector is or how much you try, you're not going to find cheeseburgers with a metal detector. It sounds stupid, but that's the equivalent kind of logic of people trying to disprove God, saying, because we can't find him with our modern sciences, then he doesn't exist. Well, first of all, there are aspects of the natural physical world that do point to God, the complexity of DNA, the gene, the cell, and so forth. But separate to that, the natural sciences, as I've said, are designed to focus on the natural whereas God exists in the supernatural. Another way of thinking about this might be the difference, as Professor John Lennox has written about, between mechanism and agency. The natural sciences are about mechanism, about understanding how the world works, whereas God is the agent that sits behind and above that creation. We don't, for a second, when we see a mechanism, assume that just because the mechanism exists and we understand it well, that there is not an agent behind it. Many of you here, even today or this week, will have used Microsoft Office applications, Outlook or Word or whatever it might be. doesn't matter how well we understand those applications and use them. It doesn't mean that Bill Gates and the Microsoft Corporation doesn't exist. Just because you might have an iPhone and understand how it works and be able to use it, doesn't mean that Steve Jobs or Apple, the company, don't exist. 
Just because we understand and have internal combustion engines in our cars, it doesn't mean that Henry Ford, the first to mass produce them, doesn't exist. Because the creation and the mechanism are separate to the agent. They both coexist. In fact, to have the mechanism, you've got to have an agent that sits behind it. The mechanism is how things work. The agent is who brought them into being in the first place and why have they been made to work like this? For what purpose and for whose ultimate purpose? So looking at the myth of warfare and the nature of science, we see that we don't have to choose between God and science. Science, it's not that science hasn't disproved God. Science is not capable of disproving God. So what about the heart of God then? How can we understand this difference between God and science and how they fit together? What, how does that relate to us as we seek to discover who God is? Well, this comes down to understanding the difference and also the synergy between two very important things, reason and revelation. Now, some people who believe in this myth that you have to choose between God and science, they think that the choice between reason and revelation is mutually exclusive. Some people choose reason and some people choose revelation. But when we look at the Christian message, reason and revelation work perfectly together. Because according to the Christian worldview, reason and evidence are fundamentally important. In fact, throughout the Christian Bible, we have this call to reason this presentation of evidence, this invitation for people to ask questions, Christians and non-Christians, to come and ask questions. God says in the Old Testament, come, let us reason together. He calls followers of Jesus in the New Testament, always be ready to give a reason, a defense, evidence for the hope that you have and to do so with gentleness and respect. Again and again, this God is inviting us to bring our questions. Now, why is he able to do that? Why is the Christian worldview the only worldview that invites that kind of questioning? Because the truth can stand up to questioning. In fact, truth is the only thing that can stand up to questioning. Now, I used to be a lawyer, and when I was in a courtroom and we were cross-examining witnesses, often witnesses would say different things. How would you know which one was telling the truth if there were five or six or seven witnesses that were all saying different things? Well, sometimes it was tricky, but one way that would definitely help is the degree to which a witness was willing to be questioned. Imagine if someone said, this is the truth, but don't ask me any questions. I don't want to look at any of the evidence. I don't want you to check the CCTV footage. I don't want to look at any of that. And I'm not willing to take any questions. But then there was another witness saying something completely different who said, check the CCTV footage. Talk to other people who were there. Give me a lie detector test. Check my credentials. He or she who is willing to be questioned is much more likely to be the one professing truth because they're not scared of the evidence. And so when the Christian message, when the Bible again and again invites us to ask questions, that in itself is a powerful defense, is a powerful reason, is a compelling strand of evidence that points to its truth and points to its truth value. Only the truth can stand up to questioning. Here's the other impressive thing, an incredible thing, about this Christian message. It's willing to meet us where we are as we search for evidence. God is not a God that's opposed to science. He's a God that works through the natural sciences. But he doesn't just do that. He works through the natural physical world and through the natural sciences in order to invite you and I into relationship with him. So there is a purpose to God's creation. 
There is a purpose to how God intervenes and acts in and through his creation. And he does that in a number of ways. Sometimes, as I've mentioned briefly, it's through literally his creation itself, through the mountains and the sunsets and the sunrises and the birds. And sometimes you can actually get a sense, and many of us feel this, of the beauty and wonder of God and his mind in his creation. But God also relates to us through other people. Through other people, he might be speaking to you directly through his Holy Spirit. He might give you a sense of something on your heart or on your mind. He might affirm that through what other people might say to you. The second most powerful and important way that God speaks to us is through his scripture, through the Bible. These 66 books written over more than 2,000 years by over 40 different authors, all inspired by God himself, by God's Holy Spirit. And I want to share with you just three short passages from this Bible in relation to some people who were struggling with how this message of Jesus conflicted with the natural sciences and the presumed understanding of what was possible in their day. And I want to go straight to the most important miracle in all of the Bible, the most important supernatural event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to talk about three different people or three different categories of people. First, the women who went to Jesus' tomb on that resurrection morning. And this is from Luke 24. Just bear with me as I read this out. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Okay, keep that story in mind. These women heard it from someone else, that Jesus was risen. And that was enough. They believed and went and told it to the disciples. Okay, we're moving ahead now to another account of the resurrection, this time from the Gospel of John. The women have just come back and they've told the disciples. We pick it up in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, who's John, presumably, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Here's the important part of this. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Okay, so we have the women who went. They were told about this miracle, this miracle that transcends science, this miracle about the impossible. They were told about it and they believed. Now we see John. John runs into the tomb and just sees the empty tomb. He's been told about it by the women, but he has to go and see the tomb. And then he believes. And thirdly and finally, our good friend Thomas. 
the most skeptical of all. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas is told just like the women were told. But that's not enough for him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. That phrase, that sentence, my Lord and my God, is, when you look at the Greek, is the most powerful declaration of faith and belief in Jesus Christ, of anyone else, anywhere in the Bible. My Lord and my God. This Thomas, who just a few verses earlier was so sceptical, was so naturally scientific and scientistic about his worldview. Just like the women were at one point and just like John was, all three of these categories of people, amongst the earliest followers of Jesus who knew him in the flesh before he was crucified, they assumed on that morning when they woke up that what was impossible in the natural was simply impossible that the natural physical sciences prevailed, that they were the ultimate marker of truth and reality, that when people die, they, they stay dead. Because that's what all the evidence showed. That's what all the science showed back then. That's even what all the science shows today. When people die, they stay dead. But what do we see from this? We see two very important things. Firstly, when God is in the picture, what may seem impossible in the natural is possible in the supernatural. It doesn't mean the sciences are wrong. It doesn't mean that the principles of biology and human anatomy and chemistry failed that morning. It just means that there was divine intervention that transcended those scientific principles. There was a supernatural intervention in the natural laws of science that ordinarily operate. So firstly, we know that just because something is impossible in the natural, it doesn't mean it's impossible in the supernatural. Secondly, and so importantly for you and I today, God met each of these people exactly where they needed to be met and gave them enough evidence, enough reason on which to make belief in him entirely understandable, justified, logical and rational. And he's willing to meet you there too, wherever you are today, no matter how strong or weak your faith is, no matter whether you've been a follower of Jesus for decades and decades, or whether you're wrestling with and even rejecting Jesus right now in your heart and in your mind, he is willing to meet you where you are. There is more than enough evidence to make faith in Jesus Christ entirely reasonable. There is more than enough if we are willing to take that step with an open heart and an open mind. You know, what's interesting, after Yuri Gagarin, after going into space, came back and said, I've been up into the heavens and there's no God because I couldn't see him. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker and professor at Oxford University at the time, I think, he wrote a response as a letter to the editor that was published and syndicated very, very widely. He said, for Yuri Gagarin to go into space and come back and say he couldn't find God so God doesn't exist, it's as ridiculous as for Hamlet, William Shakespeare's character Hamlet, to go into the attic and say that William Shakespeare doesn't exist because I couldn't find him there. And Lewis is absolutely right. 
he tapped on something that Yuri Gagarin didn't understand, that this God doesn't exist primarily and exclusively in our physical world as something that can be easily and readily tested for using our simple physical and natural modern sciences, however sophisticated they might be. But this God of ours exists in a transcendent realm, in the supernatural, above and beyond the physical sciences and the principles of modern science. In fact, he was the creator of the world to which he subjected those principles. He's the God over the natural sciences and the creation to which they are subject. C.S. Lewis is absolutely spot on. There's no way that Hamlet would even know that William Shakespeare existed. Unless, of course, somehow William Shakespeare wrote himself into the story, wrote himself into the play, and somehow introduced himself to his creation, to Hamlet, to the character that he invented. Isn't it incredible? That's exactly what this God did. Because he was in a transcendent supernatural realm and he knew that we were in a natural, physical, limited realm, he knew that the only way that we were going to be able to know him and relate to him was if he somehow wrote himself into the story. That's exactly what he did. He stepped into our story as a person. He wrote himself in as a character in human history, Jesus Christ performing miracle after miracle after miracle, bringing wisdom and moral purpose and existential perfection into our physical world. And then taking all of our brokenness and struggles and questions onto himself, our guilt and our shame, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, thereby proving that he's the God of the sciences, a God above and beyond the natural sciences. And through that now, inviting you and me to be in an up-close and personal relationship with him. God wrote himself into the story so that you could know him. It was just as true on that first resurrection morning as it is this morning. The question for you and I is, how are we going to respond to that invitation into relationship? Science hasn't disproved God. Science can't disprove God. The myth of warfare, the nature of science and the heart of God shows us that science is just a means to understanding our world. Whereas God is the reason why our world exists. And he stepped into that world to offer you the ultimate relationship, a loving relationship with God himself. And then through that loving relationship with one another, everyone else here that he has created. So the decision is on you and on me today, whether we are willing to trust him based on all of this evidence and even to bring our questions to him and trust that God that wrote himself into our story, that stepped into our history for you and for me. Thanks for listening. God bless.